everybody. It's uh, Larry Kotlikoff back with Economics Matters. I'm delighted to have Philippe Lorraine with me, an old friend, and uh, he's been twice the finance minister of Chile. And we're going to talk about the global economy. Uh, we're going to talk about the Latin American economy. We're going to talk about the Chilean economy and the Argentine economy uh, and uh, have a great 45 minutes or so discussion of these different things. We're going to start out with uh, my describing briefly uh, Felipe's uh, background, uh, which is truly impressive. So uh, Felipe is, um, first of all, he has a, a BA in economics from the Universidad Católica de Chile. That's the top university in Chile. He got a BA there. And he has a master's degree and a PhD in economics from Harvard. Uh, that's I guess uh, he's a little bit younger than me, but um, we sort of kind of, well, he worked with uh, Jeff Sachs, I think is his thesis advisor and co-authored a um, leading textbook uh, called Macroeconomics and the Global Economies with uh, Jeff. Felipe, as I mentioned, has been uh, the Chile, Chile's uh, finance minister uh, twice uh, under uh, President uh, Panera in both his first and second administrations. Um, during uh, his service as finance minister, he was basically voted uh, the best finance minister of Latin America and the best finance minister of the Americas by various international publications and organizations. Uh, he led the issuance of the first sovereign green bond in the Americas in 2019. He founded and then led, along with uh, Finland, the Coalition of Finance Ministers for Climate Action. Today, it has 50 member countries. That's a really big deal. He's a tenured professor at the Universidad Católica de Chile in economics. He's a member of the UN's Leadership Council of the Sustainable Development Solution Network. He's been an advisor to 18 countries, a fellow of the World Economic Forum, the uh, JFK Visiting Professor of Latin American Studies at Harvard between 1997-1999. And he's the author and editor of 15 books and uh, over 140 academic articles. So we have here uh, a fantastic economist. I've had lots of conversations over the years with Felipe. Uh, he was gracious to have me come to Chile when he was finance minister on at least three or four occasions, we organized together uh, a uh, conference of uh, foreign economists to talk about uh, how Chile was doing in the, in the general world situation. And uh, that was, I think, a great uh, benefit to economists in Chile and to, certainly to us who are participating. So Felipe, welcome. Uh, let's let's uh, start out by your explaining to everybody how you became an economist. Well, thank you very much, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, well, it, it's I'm kind of blessed uh, by the fact that uh, since I was uh, very young, I think about uh, age 14, I knew I wanted to become an economist, and I had very little doubt, although I had some doubts in the university when I uh, did the first year of law. So I could have been a lawyer, I could have been an economist, I ended up being an economist. And, and I pursued that career and I, I love economics and I love macroeconomics. But let me just, before we start, let me show you something which you forgot. But of course, you are forgiven for forgetting that. This is an incredible piece of, uh, you know, this is you... Uh, five very nice and good friends of us, you know, in um, on horseback. Uh, at, at, your, at, uh, at your ranch. At, 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 yes, yes. When you once, one of those occasions that you visited Chile, uh, and uh, in this picture you see Jeff Sachs, Rob Engel, uh, Michael Boskin, uh, Nuriel Rubini, Barry Eichengreen, you and I. You know, I, the, I, this picture was taken by my wife, Bridget, and it's actually I think it's on my Facebook page. 
So I have. I, 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 I know this picture. I see it all the time. Leanne. That's right. <laughs> it, you know, once uh, one of uh, of the uh, people who are in that uh, uh, on, on that picture uh, told me, Felipe, are we? The magnificent seven or the hateful eight, which of the two? <laughs> so it, it, it's uh, no, uh, you know, in time, if you have a, a vocation, I I discovered we didn't have courses of economics in 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 high school in at that time. Now there are courses of economics, and in fact, one of the books that you mentioned, I wrote a book for people who are, you know, uh, in high school. So that they can learn about macroeconomics, and, uh, and so, uh, but at that time, I just, you know, I read about uh, what you can do as an economist, how you can solve problems that could uh, change the life of people, how you can, uh, in that way, uh, give a give a little bit back uh, to society, um, the the many things you we have. Uh, uh, received, uh, so you know it, it came naturally when I I came out of a uh, high school, and I went to I gave the uh, we took the exams and uh, you know I was uh, lucky to be uh, admitted at Catholic University, uh, and I've been at Catholic University uh, for the last. Uh, Almost time. 50 years. <laughs> Not 50. I, I came to Catholic University in 76 as a student. I was hired as an assistant professor in 1980. And then I went to Harvard in 1985. Um, I got my PhD, came back to Chile, then went back to Harvard to write the textbook with Jeff that you were mentioning. And then, uh, then uh, came back to Chile and back to Harvard as the Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Visiting Professor of Latin American Studies at the JFK uh, School of Government. Um, so then I, it was a tight moment, uh, Larry, but life has these things. You know, the fifth of our children was born in the U.S., so I have a U.S. citizen uh, among, my, among our children with Francisca. And uh, after that, I had a very tight uh, decision, and it was a very close decision in the sense that I had to stay there and do uh, more uh, academic work or come back to Chile. And then I ended up, uh, you know, in government and in the finance ministry. Uh, and I, I think it's one of the most incredible things for an economist is to be able to say, okay, I've written papers, I've written books, you know, I've advised countries, but now... Uh, it's uh, we have a common say in Chile. I'm not sure if it could be translated, but it's another thing when you have the guitar because when you, when you are in the audience, you can criticize the guy who's playing the guitar. But then when you have the guitar, you have to uh, deliver. And it, it was a very interesting experience uh, being in government, being able to. Uh, to uh, you know, work for the Chilean people to participate in some uh, in many international forums, uh, and uh, you know, in our first government, uh, first you know, government of President Piñera, uh, the economy grew by almost five and a half percent for four years. Uh, we created a million jobs. <clears throat> it, it's it, it was very very satisfying, uh, and. Uh, you know, I I look back uh, with uh, uh, with happiness at the life of an economist who has been able to be a professor, who has been able to be in government, and as you mentioned, uh, one of the high points was when, uh, together with Finland, uh, I had the opportunity to lead the coalition of finance ministers for climate action, and uh, yes, we had 50, 50 members. Now we have over 75 members. I've been working with the coalition lately. So you have 75 countries who have decided, where finance ministers have decided that they can do something for the environment, they can do something to help with the transition to a, a, a greener economy. Uh, many of these economies have, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the commitment to be a net zero 
uh, net zero emissions for 2050 or even before. So this is all very exciting work we're seeing. So uh, tell us just since we're on the topic, tell us about the green, you know, green bonds and exactly what the group is doing uh, in practical terms. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting that it, when I, I was in government in, in, in 2018 as a finance minister, it, you know, I started to look with very deep interest at, at this emission of the green bonds, uh, which uh, and, and I discovered that um, working with my with the with the finance ministry team, that no country in the Americas had issued a green bond, but there were private corporations issuing green bonds, and uh, the green bond is quite a work. Yeah, you have to do. First of all, you need to be certified. You, you cannot just say I, I will have a green bond. You you need to have some kind of certification that the proceeds of that. Uh, the resources that you're getting by issuing the bond will be devoted to particular uses. And I also, you know, discovered with uh, with uh, a satisfaction that by doing a green bond and by working on, on that, you could get a premium over the return that you have to give on a regular bond. So we saved about, uh, on the calculations, we made about four basis points uh, by issuing a green bond as compared to the regular bond. And that was quite something because uh, when you're issuing, you know, several billion dollars in bonds, uh, it means something for your, your saving for, uh, for do you the think country. This was be, do you think this was because the um, investments were very clear I'm issuing this government bond, but here's exactly how it's going to be spent. So there's less uncertainty about the return on the bond. It's kind of like uh, pegged to the, uh, you know, you think that's the reason that you could sell them more cheaply? Well, I think there is a bigger reason. Uh, that could be part of the issue, but I think more importantly is that many private investors and, and uh, you know, uh, sort of finance uh, groups that uh, that are investing other people's money, uh, you know, say having their, uh, you know, the rules that they need to invest on some kind of ESG bonds, and this would qualify, uh, so that uh, you know by doing that, for example, if you have under your rules that you need to invest ten percent of your uh, portfolio on green bonds, then you have a captive audience. And the interesting thing is that we were able, uh, through that emission, to attract many people who have never invested uh, on Chilean paper before. So, you know, it, it was enlarging. Um, the we issued a double dollar euro bond, and uh, and uh, those people were we, we enlarged our uh, book of investors. And um, in the end, we thought that this was part of our way to comply with our, you know, um, we have commitments, uh, you know, uh, that, that we made in Paris. Uh, and it was actually, you know, very well received inside Chile. And we were the first sovereign green bond issue in the Americas. When I was a part of the, you know. That's, that's fantastic. Question. How financially secure do you feel? Do you have enough money to retire? How much is enough? And if you don't have enough, how can you possibly find that money before you retire? Tough questions. One smart answer. Maxify. Maxify is the powerful online planning tool that takes the guesswork out of retirement. Maxify compares your assets against your fixed expenses to calculate how much you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. And it shows you safe ways to find more money. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify makes a complicated problem like retirement planning simple. Maxify. Powerful. Accurate. Easy to use. Want some peace of mind? Make the smart choice. Maxify. Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com. The, yeah. so let's let's move from um, 
uh, from this specific thing. This is just one of many achievements. You know, I was uh, had the opportunity for at least three or four times to be in the office with you and your colleagues in the finance ministry who are working through what your policy was and the accomplishments and talking through policy for several days. And I wanna kind of convey to people that are listening, uh, and I've done this in other countries and you've done in other countries, how hard you know, people generally in these kinds of positions who are people of integrity uh, are there, are really public servants. They're working uh, really long hours uh, and they're sacrificing uh, a lot. They're working very hard on the public's behalf and the public never sees it. You know, the public never sees that the president is going from here to here to here and it's all actually work. It's not just PR or the finance ministers having this meeting after this meeting. I, I just want to convey that. I mean, I remember working with uh, 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 Sanchez de Lozada, the president of Bolivia. Uh, Jeff actually introduced us and I was uh, consulting with the uh, Bolivian government while he, when he was president and I was working with him literally till three in the morning. Uh, like, you know, I was there for a week, about three or four times, three or four in the morning, every night where we're, <laughs> he was just, and he had, he's a billionaire. <clears throat> he did not need to do this work till three in the morning. But uh, anyway, you made big contributions to Chile. Tell us uh, how the Chilean economy uh, did, you know, tell us kind of the, the history of the Chilean economy and the politics, uh, starting with your first coming into office uh, uh, in the first administration, and then what happened there after in the second in the next administration, and then when uh, Sebastian Panera, our good friend and uh, 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 the former president of Chile, became president again, what happens? And then where are things today in Chile? So give us a little kind of a history sure. history of Chile. It's good that you mentioned it. I, I, I remember a, there was one period where I worked as hard as I worked when I was in the finance ministers, was, which is when I was finishing my dissertation at Harvard, you know, my PhD dissertation. That was, you know, working 12 hours a day. But in, in, when you're in office, you try to do a good job, but it's exceedingly difficult because you're dealing not only with economic problems, but you're dealing with politics. And, and, and Larry, uh, you go... Uh, when we go as economists into a seminar, uh, we win the argument and that's it. You know, we won the argument. But I found uh, uh, several occasions where you win the argument and you lose the vote. You know, so right. it's, it's, uh, it, that makes it particularly difficult. Uh, but, you know, when we came uh, to government in the first time in 2010, we had the, this idea that Chile could become uh, a developed country and, uh, you know, and this was achievable, uh, not in one government, but, uh, you know, in a couple of decades or in a decade and a half or so, uh, we could go because Chile is a, um, was at that moment, an uh, upper middle income, as you know, it's upper middle income, but not developed. There's no developed nation in Latin America. And uh, I was particularly encouraged by the fact that during that period, that first government, economic growth was almost uh, five and a half percent on average per year. Okay. And that, Should let everybody know who's not an economist that the U.S. growth might be two, three percent this year, five and a half percent is quite amazing, uh, especially when the probably the demographics are not that favorable. I don't think you're, I don't know what your population growth rate is these days, but uh, you're talking about real growth, uh, real incomes grow, growing by at least 3% in Chile for four years in a row, right? That's quite- Yeah, it, real income's growing, per capita income's growing at over 4%, you know, for four years, because population growth is now below 1% per year. It used, in 2010, was probably around 1%. Well, another way know. to put this is that, you know, one administration kind of can permanently raise every worker's living standard by about 18% in four years forever. That's an enormous yeah. magical trick. Uh, you know, I, you know, we talk about these percentage numbers, but if you put it in, in these terms, in terms of living standard, if you've got per capita uh, growth at that level, 
compounded, uh, we're talking about, you know, maybe 18% uh, compounded. That's an, that's an enormous improvement. Yeah, and, and the other way to put it is that in a four-year period, Larry, uh, the, the, the Chilean economy expanded by a quarter. It was a quarter higher than at the beginning of the administration when they ended up. And, and you know, that was partly reassuring. We, you know, reassuring, we said we are in a good... But, you know, we made, a, I think, a, a, a pretty decent job at, a, a, you know managing uh, the economy, managing the, the, uh, the, the country on political terms, but we lost the election. And so, you know, in 2014, another administration came. And what, when we're looking in, um, in more perspective, uh, we realized that something happened in Chile in 2014 uh, that we fell into a kind of middle income trap. And uh, for example, average growth, for uh, coming from almost five and a half percent per year since 2014, uh, average growth has uh, been around 1.8 percent per year. So barely above, you know, the uh, growth of uh, population. So per capita income has been expanding in the last. It, it used to grow by four and a half percent per year, and then we went to almost. 1% growth, as you know, Larry, because this is a trick we use in economics, is that the is the 70 rule. When we are growing at 1% per year, you take 70 years to double your per capita income. So not far from a century. And when you're growing at 7% per year, it takes 10 years only to to yeah. double your, your, your per capita income. Take 70 so, divided by the number, by the percentage. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Um, uh, that's of course an approximation, but uh, but it's a pretty good approximation. So we have had a retrocession in 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 growth in uh, employment levels, and we went to got back to government in 2018, and then growth came back to four percent after being below two. Growth came back to four, but then we had two things in a row. We had the social. Uh, uprising with a lot of violence in Chile back in 2000, uh, October 2019. And then we had the pandemic, you know, next year. So we had a big, uh, you know, reduction in growth, uh, uh, a recession <clears throat> at the time of the pandemic. Next year, there was big growth. Uh, but then now we're back to normal. Just to give you an idea, in 2023, Larry, we will likely grow at zero. So the economy, we are in a period of uh, um, growth stagnation uh, here. And the when you say, well, yeah, but that's one year. Well, last year we grew by a little over 2%. And the potential growth uh, is now around 2%. So that's... Is this different change? You know, you go from four down to very low... Is this due to changes in policy? Is this due to a uh, reduction in foreign investment? I mean, uh, you know, you're uh, an internationally recognized uh, figure, certainly President Panera. Uh, I think you probably produced a lot of confidence in the Chilean economy. So was this a reduction in foreign investment in Chile or was this a, re a change in policy that the next administration uh, brought into uh, into being, yeah. What what we've had, uh, Larry, is a big increase in. Uh, I think there is a, a big reduction in the quality of uh, uh, in the quality of uh, uh, policies. Uh, you know, we've had very ill constructed policies in in Chile uh, since two thousand fourteen, but also and very importantly, a an increase in uncertainty, so much so that over the last uh, eight years, we've had negative growth of investment for about, uh, you know, seven years, seven out of the last 10 years, the investment has been uh, declining. And um, uh, this is also the case for 2023 investment. Uh, we have zero growth, but investment is uh, below zero. And uh, you have also an issue, a big issue with productivity growth. 
which is, uh, a, you know, productivity growth eight of the last 10 years since 2014. All this, the pivotal moment is 2014. Um, and after, you, you've seen that productivity is not contributing to an economic growth, but in fact is, is reducing uh, economic growth by being negative. So we have negative productivity growth for eight of the last 10 years. That's a big issue. And we have been discussing, Larry, we have discussed the constitution over the last four years. You know, one of the things that came out of that social uprising and violence was that, you know, the Chileans needed a new constitution. And we've had four, two attempts and Chile has made a, a world record. You know, um, we should go into the Guinness book because uh, we have had two uh, in a row uh, rejections of a new proposed constitution. So we're back to where we were with four years of huge uncertainty in the in the Chilean, uh, in, the, in the country overall, but in, in, this is particularly, as you know, uh, very harmful to investment, employment creation and economic growth. So, so is, it, is this coming from kind of an inherent uh, left-right division within society? Is it, uh, is this just going to continue through time? I mean, do you think uh, this is just reflecting some fundamental uh, incompatibility of view of perspectives uh, down there in Chile? I mean, we're talking lots of, you know, the Chilean history going back to Allende, who's socialist, and then Pinochet takes over, uh, and then you do have growth in, of the economy, but a lot of repression of human rights, and then uh, and then you get uh, out from under the dictatorship, military dictatorship, and it takes a while for society to um, finally elect a, a more conservative, uh, economically oriented president, and uh, things things succeed, and then there's a uh, you know slipping back. Is this going to be the story through time with Chile? Is that your uh, I, thinking? I think that we have a chance of leading back. Basically, um, let me answer it in in in, uh, in several different pieces. First of all, um, we had a, a terrible constitutional project uh, that was proposed to the Chilean people on uh, on uh, September twenty twenty two. We, at, uh, I direct a, a think tank in Chile called CLAPES, where you, that you know, and where you, where you are on the advisory board. So we're happy to have you on the advisory board. Uh, the uh, what we saw was that right before the vote in September twenty two of the of the proposed constitution, uncertainty was at the highest in fifteen years. We have been measuring uncertainty for fifth since two thousand seven. And in 2022, we reached the highest level all time, you know, since we were measuring this variable. And, you know, it, it was the Chilean people were wise enough to vote overwhelmingly against that project. We voted 62% against 38% for. And then there was a new constitutional attempt, a, a new convention, a new council was, uh, was elected. And the council you know, was able to produce a, on my view, I didn't agree with everything that was inside, but, a, a, you know, a good constitution. But again, the Chilean people were a little tired of the constitutional process. And, you know, in, in, in they rejected again. So we're back to the constitution that dates, dates from 1980, but then was uh, substantially reformed, and we have a new constitution that signed again in 2005 at the during the Lagos administration. So we are with that, uh, and uh, I'm sure the constitutional issue will come back. It won't just stay because many people feel in Chile that uh, we need a new constitution, except that with the problem that we have been unable to agree on what constitution. Well, just tell we us need. quickly what what do, what do you think is wrong with the current with the constitution as it is in as is currently uh, in place because it hasn't been changed what what in your view needs to be fixed 
and has that been rejected? Well, there, there are several things, but you see, it, this is a constitution that dates back from 1980. So one of the big issues is that the illegitimacy of origin, because this is a constitution that was at the time of the, you know, uh, was uh, delivered and established uh, in 1980 at the time of the dictatorship. So that's one thing. But this constitution suffered, I think, uh, you know, maybe uh, over 50 amendments, you know, uh, in time. And the biggest one was 2005. And the current, if you look at the current constitution, it has the, the, the signature of President Lagos and his cabinet, you know, uh, back in uh, 2005. A socialist. a socialist president, a socialist president. But it's a, it's a constitution uh, that... Uh, you know, there are many things that could be improved in the current constitution. Uh, for example, in terms of I've, I've been working on the on issues like uh, fiscal responsibility uh, to establish uh, the fiscal responsibility as a, as a preeminent thing. You know, that's not so clear in the current constitution. And there are many good things in the constitution. But of course, after uh, 43 years, you know, constitutions have their cycle. You know, and, and we are not the United States of America, which has basically the same constitution that you had 200 years ago. That's so, true. yeah, which is which is pretty. I think there is a possibility to uh, to improve uh, several areas. I mentioned the issue of fiscal responsibility. Uh, there are several other issues in terms of uh, you know the the. the women's rights, for example, that that, uh, that could be improved. And in fact, this constitution improved women's rights, but uh, it was not understood in that way by, by many people who voted and many women that voted against it. So I think this is an issue that will be with us. But on the other hand, right now, for example, the, uh, the administration, the current administration, which is a left-wing administration, not, not center-left, but left, uh, in which you have the Communist Party as part of the coalition. It, yeah, they've been pushing a um, couple of reforms, particularly a tax reform that was rejected in, in, in the uh, Chamber of Deputies in Congress last year. But the government is insisting on this uh, again. Uh, so we will see what will happen. But in the meantime, uh, investors don't have clear what will be the, um, you know, the way that profits will be treated, uh, will be taxed, uh, you know, that, so you that there's been a reduction, in, you said, uh, Philip, excuse me, that you, there's been a reduction in investment in Chile. Is that foreign investment, the main driver of that? It, it's, it, that's um, a overall a macroeconomic investment. So I'm talking about basically gross fixed capital formation. That's what's been uh, reducing from both foreign and local sources. So the overall, uh, which, as you know, is differently measured the foreign direct investment than, you know, if you buy an existing asset, if you're a foreign direct, if you're a foreign investor and you buy an existing asset, that's uh, counted as foreign direct investment, but it's not macroeconomic investment, right. you know? So uh, I think all this policy uncertainty plus the uncertainty of the constitution is putting a heavy uh, toll uh, on top of that, if you are pursuing economic reforms that are, you know, not uh, growth friendly, uh, not uh, investment friendly, uh, it will be tough to grow. And uh, you're seeing that, uh, you know, I think if we could get our uh, an agreement and we've been pushing, I've been personally involved in trying to push for an agreement uh, so that we can solve this uncertainty, but it has not been possible yet. I think that we have an opportunity. Look, Chile has great opportunities to grow. We have uh, one of the best places in the world to produce uh, green energy, to produce uh, uh, renewable energies. Uh, we have green hydrogen, we have lithium, we have copper, as you know. Uh, we have a, a famous, uh, our fruit is famous, our wine, our salmon. We have many things, we are exporting more services, so I think there are many ways in which this is a very attractive place, but I think the political, the political uh, groups have not delivered 
what we need. And in fact, Larry, one of the problems is that we have, I think it's 26 political parties with representation in the, in the uh, many of them, most of them with representation in Congress. And one of the things that the Constitution, and now there is an amendment to the Constitution trying to be pushed through Congress, is to get a minimum, you know, of 5% of the vote if you want to have representation in Congress. And I think that will significantly, that division that we have in so many parties, that fragmentation of the uh, uh, political class and the political uh, representatives in Congress makes it very difficult to um, to be in government and to, uh, to make the country uh, progress. Want more money, less risk, and a better life? Buy Money Magic, a new book by Lawrence Kotlikoff, Boston University economist, personal finance expert, and best-selling author. Whether it's education, career, marriage, housing, investing, retirement, social security, IRA, or 401k decisions, Money Magic delivers scores of secrets to raise your living standard. Financial journalist Jane Bryant Quinn says Money Magic is a must-read. Nobel laureate George Akerlof says Money Magic is quite probably the best financial advice book ever written. Financial guru John Malden says, you'll love this amazing book. It's full of wit, wisdom, and startling paths to a better financial life. And columnist Scott Burns calls Money Magic a funny, brilliant read, offering wildly powerful, unconventional choices that can literally change your life. Get Lawrence Kotlikoff's Money Magic today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent booksellers. So the next question is, any uh, potential... Felipe Lorraine presidency? By no means. I'm very happy at the university. I, I direct the center that you know, the Latin American Economic and Social Policy Center at Universidad uh, Católica. Do these 24 uh, parties want to have you as their candidate? Nobody's been pushing? No, no, no. I'm, no, 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 no candidacy. I, I will be happy to contribute from the uh, academic uh, uh, work that I've done for the last four decades, four and a half decades. Well, let me say, I, th I think you would be a fabulous president. And I hope somebody from Chile uh, who's running one of these parties considers you, even uh, though, you know, it's not clear that you'd like to do it. But uh, I think the world would love to see that happen. Uh, but let's turn to Argentina. Uh, you've been sure. following events there, probably advising the new government. Uh, how do you see things uh, uh, developing just, you know, since the election and what are the prospects for, uh, you know, achieving some sane policy in, in Argentina and growth? I think Argentina is an incredible country. You have probably been there many times. It's one of the in terms of natural resources, it's one of the richest country, uh, countries in Latin America. It, it used to be one of the top five countries by per capita income in the late 1890s, Larry, as you know. Uh, it, the incredible thing is now Argentina is about 150 in the world. Uh, you know, how can it happen? Such a destruction of wealth, such a destruction a destruction of uh, uh, of well-being for the people, and it's uh, a number of uh, populism. Populism uh, has a very Argentinian flavor, you know. In Latin America, uh, we have had several populist governments in 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 many countries, including Chile, uh, in the region. And probably populism was born in Latin America, but uh, Argentina has championed populism. And in the last, uh, if you look, for example, the last seven years. Or the last 10 years, seven out of the last 10 years is negative growth in Argentina. So uh, economic, uh, economic, uh, uh, you know, GDP output is not expanding in Argentina with heavy inflation. And the current government inherited a terrible situation. Hundred and, uh, some people in the audience will not know what's happening in Argentina. You know, they probably know Tango and Malbec wines but they don't follow very closely uh, what is happening there. And Argentina was uh, with 140% inflation at the end of last year. And uh, with regulated prices, a lot of government intervention in the economy, um, subsidies here and there, lots of transfers, a public 
sector deficit of 5% of GDP with no possibility to borrow in the voluntary capital market. So at the end, as, as we know, as we economists know, you can finance that only by printing money. That implies money printing and inflation. And so inflation, everybody who gets a peso, you know, tried to convert it into a dollar. And the exchange rate depreciated and the inflation and inflation sort of skyrocketed. And Argentina is no new to this. Uh, hyperinflation has happened to the Argentines, you know, back in the 1990s. But right now, what you need to do, the first preeminent thing is to correct you had like uh, at a moment seven different exchange rates you know so correcting the exchange rate uh, and reducing the fiscal deficit probably eliminating which one of the things that the new government is trying to do the new government is a kind of a economic revolution for argentina and the key question is will they be able to get the will they get the support they need in Congress to pass through the many uh, bills that they will need? And this is open to question right now. Uh, they have done a lot in uh, a lot in terms of uh, very uh, major changes to the economy in a very short period of time. So tell us uh, about those for a second. Uh, yeah, for example, they. Uh, they reduced uh, spending. Some of the subsidies they reduced, and uh, uh, they have not eliminated that. But uh, you know, trans. I'm talking about transport, gas, energy, um, gasoline, uh, with uh, you know heavily subsidized, and the government uh, didn't have the opportunity to. Uh, uh, you know, collect enough revenue, so that there you have the 5% of GDP of deficit. But if you add the quasi-fiscal deficit at the central bank, you add another 10 points of GDP. So you're really talking at a global deficit of about 15 points of GDP. That's huge. That's impossible. So uh, they're doing the very best to liberalize the economy, reduce regulations that are, you know, harming the economy, uh, eliminate the deficit and by that bringing down inflation and with an eye to attracting investment so that they could reignite economic growth by probably you know this but argentina was in latin america and the caribbean the country with the least growth negative growth in 19 in 2023 so they have a huge task with a minority. This is a minority government. So they, they lack a majority in both houses of Congress. So it's not easy for them to pass legislation. And uh, of course, we wish them well. You know, we are next door what about, neighbors. What about the dollarization? How do you see that happen? Are they going to, uh, you know, is this just one a of their proposals? I, I think. Uh, you know, President Malay really believed in the dollarization, but he's also a, a rational man, you know, that looks at the ability to produce that. And I, I made a calculation that in, in reality, you need uh, about $40 billion to dollarize the economy. You need to buy all the pesos that are circulating with dollars and you need to cover your short term uh, liabilities in pesos because you need to have. Uh, many dollars, and the question is, who's going to lend Argentina forty-something billion dollars? So if it to... can't be done that way, could, could they just make uh, the peso, the dollar, legal tender, and just gradually uh, buy up the, the pesos? Just they could version. They could, but they will still have the issue of um, a moving exchange rate. One of the issues that you're trying to do with dollarization is to. Reduce interest rates, reduce inflation, and all that, and then you will have two currencies, and uh, you will have <clears throat> the inflation measured. Probably you will pay people with pesos, so you need to have the pesos, you know. And if you are still reverting to printing money, that's the complication. Uh, the other part of the story that you know well, Larry, is more subtle, if you if you think of it, but. Uh, for a country that is uh, heavily based on natural resources, having a completely fixed exchange rate, because that's, uh, you know, when you surrender a local currency, you cannot move the exchange rate, uh, which is a very important tool 
to uh, adjust the economy at times when you have, for example, in terms of trade, a big terms of trade change. If your major export collapses, then uh, then you have a problem, you know. And if you have a, a, a dollarized economy, in order to correct this problem, probably you need deflation, and deflation is quite a, quite a something. So I would not recommend at all. I'm not a fan of dollarization. I understand that getting out of dollarization is an issue. I used to advise the former Ecuadorian government, and although I don't think dollarization is a is something I would recommend getting rid of dollarization so uh, having your own currency after you dollarize is extremely difficult but a recommending a country to go the dollarization path is something I would not do how financially secure do you feel imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions a tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is Maxify. Powerful, accurate, and easy to use. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify takes the guesswork out of financial decisions at every stage of life. Maxify calculates what you can afford to spend now and throughout retirement. And you can run what-if scenarios to see how your finances might change by taking a new job, buying a home, or downsizing. Knowing the impact before you decide lets you make smarter decisions so you can finally enjoy financial peace of mind. Are you ready? Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com. Uh, unless you, I guess, unless you can really, yeah, I, I see the the disadvantages. I mean, the pros, if you can really get control of the printing of the money and convert and make the dollar legal tender at the same time you stop printing money, it seems like that may be, of course, then you need to come up with the revenues to pay the public uh, workers. Are they laying off any public workers in uh I yes, understand. they're laying off, particularly those that were hired in the last year, you know, uh, because uh, one of the issues is that uh, governments, when they go out, they they usually hire uh, several people, you know, and they say, well, those who have been hired in the last year, you know, as their contracts, um, uh, as their contracts uh, expire, you know, they're not being rehired. These are temporary uh, contracts. Um, so, but, but let me say, Larry, what I would strongly advise or advocate is to have a truly independent, autonomous central bank with a, an inflation target, you know, a fiscal rule, a fiscal advisory council, you know, with all together, you know, you can create the environment to have low and stable inflation. You know, and this is kind of a, uh, with a floating rate, I wouldn't advise also a fixed exchange rate. Let me ask so you if you get on this, would they consider uh, appointing you as their finance minister? No, 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 I cannot do that. But I was, I've been in conversations with them, and I, I uh, very much hope that the Argentina, for the Argentinian people, that they would succeed, and. Uh, uh, I, I've been talking to several of my uh, good Argentinian friends uh, who happen to be economists also. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I will, uh, uh, I will be available to, uh, for any discussions where, where if there is any, uh, you know, uh, grain of salt that I, could, uh, that I could contribute. Well, I'm sure you'll be uh, giving them a lot of help. Hopefully, uh, Chile will get kind of back on track and... Uh, uh, you know whether that's the current administration or uh, a more right of more centrist centrist administration, but there's things that work and there are things that don't work, and you would think that people would see what works and just do what works just from the historic record, or just copy other countries' policies. If you spent a century going downhill as Argentina has, just just do what you would do in Sweden. Uh, it seems to me. But anyway, uh, Larry, let, yeah. let me let me just one reflection. I think in Argentina, in Argentina, 
Uh, there are several administrations that believe that Argentina is unique. But we know, you and I know, and many of our colleagues know, that there are some fundamental rules in, economic, in economics that happen to uh, uh, apply everywhere. You know, and uh, if you try to believe that you are unique and because of that, you will, you know, succeed, even if you try uh, many policies that have failed miserably in other places, uh, you're in for a very uh, rough uh, uh, awakening. And um, this is I think the Argentinian people have been uh, betrayed by many administrations that have uh, maintained, you know, very high inflation that you know that inflation is one of the things that uh, is more heavy on the poor than on the better off, you know. So, so truly hoping that, um, you know, that rationality comes back and that uh, good policies could uh, uh, succeed uh, with the support of the Argentinians, uh, you know, trying to form a coalition, a more centrist coalition, uh, that could uh, help uh, pass the legislation that Argentina needs. And I think one of the things that President Millet, and I hope uh, that he does so, is to go to people who are not part of his coalition, you know, who are not part of his party, you know, but that can contribute, you know, in the center of the political spectrum. Yeah, that's definitely uh, good advice. So listen, Felipe, thank you so much for... Uh joining us on Economics Matters. We will uh, stay in close touch and uh, best to uh, the family and uh, Happy New Year. Thank you, Larry. Happy New Year to you too. We look forward to having you in Chile. So. Look, I look forward to coming back. It's been a while. How financially secure do you feel? Imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions, a tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is Maxify, powerful, accurate, and easy to use. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify takes the guesswork out of financial decisions at every stage of life. Maxify calculates what you can afford to spend now and throughout retirement. And you can run what-if scenarios to see how your finances might change by taking a new job, buying a home, or downsizing. Knowing the impact before you decide lets you make smarter decisions so you can finally enjoy financial peace of mind. Are you ready? Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I, maxify.com.